Hey everybody, this is Jeannie Faulkner, and you're listening to Common Sense, Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics, the podcast where we talk about all of that and then some. I'm the author of the book, Common Sense Pregnancy, which if you haven't picked up a copy yet, go do that. It's everywhere books are sold. I'm a registered nurse with 20 years experience in labor and delivery, 30 years experience in women's health, and just as many years as a mom. And that's where my expertise comes from, kind of in the trenches. And this is where the spot where you get all the benefit of that. Now, as you know, I'm all about connecting the dots between what happens in your prenatal checkup or birth setting or preschool or workplace with what's going on in the rest of the world. That's the politics part of this podcast. And this week, as we head towards next week's midterm elections, I can't really think of anything else to talk about. Next Tuesday, November 6, all 435 congressmen and women and a third of the Senate, they're up for re-election. And we have the chance to fill those seats with the representatives we want. Now, If you're happy with the way things are right now for women, parents, mothers, and the world we live in, then I'd say you haven't been paying attention. And I'd like you to go back and binge listen to a few other of my more politically focused podcast episodes, like last week's, for instance, where we talk about what has and has not changed since the Pregnancy Discrimination Act was signed 40 years ago. Now, this week, Let's talk about why your vote is essential. Right now, the vast majority of those who are currently representing the United States in Congress are middle-aged or older men, yet our country is made up of 51% of women. These guys don't see the world the same way we do. Yeah, sure, they have children. They have wives, sisters, mothers, but they're not wives, sisters, and mothers. They don't have the same goals, needs, visions, dreams, hopes. They just don't. They might be similar, but they're not the same. Our Congress is overwhelmingly white, though our country's citizens are you know, increasingly Hispanic and African-American and Asian-American and not white. Our country's representation is important because these are the folks who are making the laws that impact our lives, the laws that help us or hurt us as women and mothers and parents. I found this infographic. It's called, This Is Not My Beautiful House, which demonstrates how Congress currently is representing the United States compared to what it would look like if actual U.S. demographics were being representative. So currently, Congress is made up of 435 members of the House of Representatives. Those are our congressmen and congresswomen, plus 100 senators. And that makes a total of 535 members of Congress. Okay. Right now, of those 535 members, 243 are Democrats. 288 are Republicans, and then there are two from other parties. However, if Congress actually represented the true number of Democrats and Republicans and other party members in the United States, we'd have 235 Democrats, 
219 Republicans and 81 representatives from other parties. Okay, how about in terms of gender? Right now, we have 448 men and only 91 women. Yet, as I mentioned earlier, women make up 51% of the population. So if Congress actually represented U.S. demographics, we'd have 218 women in Congress and 218 men. What about race? Right now, Congress has 453 white members, 44 African Americans, 27 Hispanics, 18 Asians, and one Native American. If Congress actually represented the U.S. population, we'd have 385 whites, 64 African African Americans, 86 Hispanics, 25 Asians, and 5 Native Americans. That's real different. Now, we could keep breaking this down into more detail, but what I'm saying is that your vote is important because it will help us make sure we have a Congress that actually looks like us, like the people who have to live under the laws of the land. If we had a Congress that looked like us, then our issues, values, and needs would be represented. Right now, all of that, all of our values, our issues, needs, hopes, dreams, our livelihoods, our health care, for ourselves and our children and the world we live in, they're being made by a Congress that's predominantly male, white, aging, and angry. And that's not what we need more of if we're going to create a more peaceful world. We need diversity. We need representation. And I firmly believe that the way we create real change and healing isn't by continuing to fight, fight, fight. It's by building, growing, and creating. We will break down the patriarchy by crowding it out with a strongly built matriarchy, and we'll do it vote by vote. Your vote matters. Okay, that's my rant for this week. Vote, mamas. It matters. This is the most important election in United States history, and we need to hear your voice. Okay? Okay. Let's take a quick break and then get right back to this week's guest, who just might have a little something to say about raising kids in this world today with all its lack of representation and crazy stress. All right, we'll be right back. Okay, let's get this week's guest on the line. Maureen Healy is the author of the newly released book, The Emotionally Healthy Child. She also wrote Growing Happy Kids, which won Nautilus and Reader's Favorite Book Awards in 2014. She's a popular Psychology Today blogger and a sought-after public speaker. She runs a global mentoring program for elementary-age children and works with parents and their children in a busy private practice. So let's get Maureen on the phone. Hi, Maureen. It's Jeannie. How are you? Good. How about yourself? I am doing really well. Where are you in the country, Maureen? I'm in Santa Barbara, California. Oh, the most beautiful spot in the entire planet. Is that right? It's close for sure. I mean, it's something special, which is why I chose to live here. Yeah. Well, I grew up in Redondo Beach, California. Mm-hmm. So Santa Barbara was like a vacation destination. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, I read your bio a little bit you know, before we got you on the line today, Maureen. But my first question for guests is always this. Who are you? And what do you do? Well, I think we could spend probably some lifetimes talking about that one. But 
Um, who am I? Uh, you know, it's very interesting you asked that because I think it was yesterday, the day before someone asked me, you know, who do you really look up to in your field? And I said, well, what field do you think I am in? And they said parenting. And it's funny because I always think of myself as like the well-being field or the wisdom field. So like, my teachers are like wisdom teachers and I help bring those sort of wise ideas and tools to the children. So that's really who I am. And uh, I certainly enjoy being outdoors and I have a pug and, you know, fun life things. Cool. And you are also an author and mm -hmm. a blogger and a public mm -hmm. speaker. So mm -hmm. Just rounding out this bio of yours, tell me a little bit about your career field and how you got into it. I began working as sort of a coach to CEOs, and I found out that sometimes, just sometimes, I act like children, and <laughs> I... Um, I actually went back to school to study child development and just found that I fell in love with working with children. So, you know, my specialty is that social and emotional learning, whether it's in the classroom, in the home or a personal office. Mm -hmm. I consider myself doing a lot of healing work with kids and then also, you know, how, what are emotions? How do they work? And giving them the tools that they need to have a healthier, happier life. Hmm. It's, it's always interesting to me the different avenues that people take to get into this, you know, kind of bigger career that we're all engaged in, in raising this next generation of global citizens. Mm -hmm. And it seems like your career is sort of both interventive or interventionist where you, your skills are inserted into the lives of a, of a child or a family who might be having some trouble, but then mm -hmm. also preventative. It seems like, you're also trying to teach parents about how to raise some kids in a crazy, messed up world to be resilient. Right. Am I right? right? Yeah, I would say preventative, like preventative medicine. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would say also restorative, like, you know, if there was a hiccup or a bump and there was trouble healing on your own, like you would go to, you know, a massage therapist, you would sort of go to me for your mind and emotions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um You've gotten to travel quite a bit with this work, haven't you? Um, yeah, I really enjoy travel. I've lived in Asia and gone to different parts of the world. And, you know, it's interesting because you do recognize that we really are all the same. We all want to feel good and do our best. Yeah, yeah. And we all want to raise our children to be the happiest, healthiest possible, you know, and have close relationships with them. Absolutely. Yeah. Anywhere that I've traveled, parents are parents the world around and mothers mm -hmm. are all worried about the very, very same issues. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think that kids are having a harder time developing emotional health nowadays than they did, you know, 50, 100, 200 years ago? That's a good question. You know, if you said 20 years ago, I might not say yes, mm -hmm. but 50, 100 years ago, I would probably say yes. Um, I think we just have a different level of stress. And I think the digital world has just brought a lot of stress into our lives quickly. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. helping children navigate that and also, you know, really go back to the basics of, you know, what are your emotions and what you do with them and helping kids 
learn how to take control of their emotional lives. I think, you know, it's taught in some schools, but not all schools and some families and not all families. So I think the more conscious we become and deliberate in those tasks, the better not only do we feel, but our kids do too. Well, I know that you have a new book out right now, The Emotionally Healthy Child. Um, And I want to talk about that, but I'm wondering if maybe we should just step back a couple steps and define the term. What is what is emotional health? It's such a great question. And like your first question, it's complex and we could be talking about it for hours. But I guess I, I think the best way to start would be how, where does it begin? And it really begins from a child perspective and, and adults as well, being able to identify your emotions and then release them constructively. So the emotionally healthy child doesn't run from their emotions. They don't hide them. They don't let them out sideways by punching their sibling. And it's not to say that if a child did that, they're emotionally unhealthy. It's just that that's not a characteristic of emotional health. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's really helping them feel their emotions and learn how to catch them when they're small and begin expressing them constructively, regardless of what they are. Okay. That makes sense. You know, a lot of times when we're discussing um, the subject or concept of emotional health, people kind of segue into actually talking about um, emotional or mental illness. Uh-huh. And that seems to get the bulk of the conversation. We talk about depression and anxiety and, and you know, the, the ways that, you know, mental illness can manifest. And I wonder if we could kind of deter, you know, sort of define how emotional health differs from mental illness? Well, I think that we're all on the path to becoming healthier and happier. Some Mm -hmm. of us are taking lifetimes. Some of us are hopefully making significant gains in this lifetime. Mm -hmm. But I think the point is that regardless of whether you have a quote unquote diagnosable mental illness or not, there are tools of emotional health that when you learn will move you in the right direction. Mm -hmm. So from my standpoint, I'm focused on sort of wellness and well-being. And even if someone did have anxiety or did have depression, that doesn't mean they can't be learning the ideas and using the tools of emotional health and becoming healthier and moving away from from um, either a diagnosis or learning how to manage. If their temperament or personality or biology was prone toward not just sadness, but true depression, then this Mm -hmm. is something that they have to learn how to navigate in their own life. But I don't see them as mutually exclusive. Yeah, I I was looking at your website and I saw that you had a section about you know, if you're raising a sensitive kid. And I love that because, you know, many, 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 many of us um, ha- grew up as really, really sensitive children and then sensitive adults, which, you know, is a fabulous thing if you live in a family that understands that. Not so much if you live in a rough and tumble kind of family that family, <laughs> family mm-hmm. that expects you to toughen up. And so I like, I like that you have that, that acceptance component. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, children are just more and more emotionally sensitive. So, which is one of the reasons why working with them and helping them with their emotions is so vital because they can go in any direction. They can give you a kiss on the cheek or they can scream at the top of their lungs. So helping <laughs> them when they're very sensitive and reactive, learn those ideas and tools is very helpful. It really is. Well, let's talk about the book, The Emotionally Healthy Child, Helping Your Child Calm, 
center and make smarter choices. Tell me about it. What do you want to know? (laughs) Well, I'd like to know. I always like hearing how a book um, came to be. And, you know, then of course I want to know the the kind of nutshell version of what it's about and what listeners can get from it. So let's start, start first with how did the book come to be? Um, that's a very good question. How did the book come to be? I mean, I, I wanted to write a book about how to help children become healthy, really happier, but it just became very clear to me that it's really emotional learning. I mean, before you get to feeling happier, you really have to master your emotions. And the kids that I kept seeing in my office didn't know how emotions worked or what they could do with them. So Mm -hmm. that's sort of the problem that this book solves. And also working with parents, you know, everyone, people don't come to me when things are going well. It's just the nature of my work. They come to me when there's a challenge and they had sort of repetitive questions of what can I do? How do I help my child calm? And how do I help my child relax? How do I help my child, you know, do things differently? So then I was just, the more that I pondered those questions, realized, you know, I could put something together that would be not only helpful for parents and teachers, but anyone who touched a child's life or wanted to even deepen their knowledge of what emotional health really is. So the subtitle for your book, Helping Your Child Calm, Center, and Make Smarter Choices, are kind of the distilled steps that your book is talking, expanding on. Am I right? Um, yeah, I mean, that's one theme throughout many themes of the book, but the idea, I mean, ultimately, if we think of our lives, right, you know, our choices send us in different directions. So we ultimately want our kids to become self-reliant and make smarter choices. And I define a smarter choice by something that's good for you and good for others. So for example, a smart choice for a child might feel like screaming, but it's not good for others. So you, you know, that child could maybe go into another room and do something differently. So making those smart choices that are good for you and good for others, even when you're feeling big emotions takes practice. Yeah, I bet. And I bet a lot of listeners are listening to this and will go, how do you even reach that point where you could get a kid who's a screamer or a biter or, you know, whatever the, the tantrum du jour is? How do you get them from that point to the point where they'll go in the other room and do something else? Well, I mean, it depends on the child's age, but certainly, you know, the more we keep our emotional house in order and learn how to become among the chaos, it's helpful, specifically with the science of mirror neurons. It's shown that if you're in the presence of someone who's calm, it's easier for a child to learn how to calm. Mm -hmm. So if you think of the idea of, you know, oftentimes not a lot of good choices are made from when you're angry or frustrated or, you know, emotionally hijacked. They're often made when you're feeling, you've let that feeling pass and you can, uh, you know, go back and make a smarter choice, but it's really practice. And I have something in the book called a smart choices checklist that helps children identify, okay, when I'm feeling some challenging emotions, these are my smart choices. Cause until they identify what they can do, they're just really re- very reactive. Okay. This starts in babyhood, you know, helping, helping children. I mean, tell, tell me how, how does this start for a parent? Say that again. So I get it. Yeah. I, it was a pretty vague question because I'm not really sure, you know, how do, how do parents start in raising an emotionally healthy child? I mean, they've just brought this bundle of vulnerable baby home with them and they're feeling like a big vulnerable, vulnerable bundle themselves. Where does it start? 
Right. Well, I mean, I was so interested in my last bookstore engagement where I spoke to people. Um, this couple came and it was clear they weren't parents, but they have they're thinking about having children. So I thought it was so interesting that they wanted to start reading this book and gain that awareness because it's ultimately I mean, in an ideal world, you work on yourself. You know, you work on how do I calm? How do I, you know, feel my best and then eventually do my best. So I think the role modeling is essential and it doesn't mean we need to be perfect. We all make mistakes and repair relationships. We'll have to learn how to repair relationships. But I think that from the get go, you are careful about your emotions and what you expose children to. And also when they're, you know, even two or three, you start to help them um, identify, you know, that calming ability to calm. And then when they're four and up is typically when I work with them, cause that's when more reason or logic comes online. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And or is that also, the question or yeah, yeah, that, that okay. does. And I would, I would imagine that that is also the age where parents have kind of run out of their best coping mechanisms and they mm -hmm. need more, more support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that, you touched on the fact that it's the parent who's going to be modeling emotional behavior. And so often we see parents in stressful situations who, um, or, or maybe, you know, situations that wouldn't be considered stressful to one parent, but is apparently very, very stressful to another where they just lose their minds. And, you know, there's tantrums going on both, you know, parent and child, and you see it all the time. And I'm imagining that these are parents that have been taught that by their parents who were taught that by their parents. And it's just cycles that repeat each other, you know, repeat generation to generation. But I'm seeing, I'm seeing more parents than ever who are all of a sudden just waking up to it and realizing that there are just so many better ways about it. I mean, I, I don't know if it's, just the people that I'm looking at now, or if you're seeing that too, but I feel like we have a generation of parents coming upon us right now who are really intentional. I mean, I would agree with you. I think that, you know, you parent the way you were parented, unless you take a conscious pause and say, Hey, what worked from that experience? And what do I not want to repeat? Whether it was spanking or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, oftentimes when I work with parents that aren't always displaying my model behavior. Sometimes it's, it is behavior from their own experience in childhood that they need to review. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that there are a lot of people in their thirties, forties, and it's really a conscious, you know, who are very high conscious, who throughout when they were parented, recognized during that experience, oh, this doesn't work for me at all. And when I do it, I'm going to do it differently. So it's like they never went to sleep, so to, so to speak, opposed to waking up. They were yeah. um, very high conscious from the beginning and they just, um, you know, put their feet in the sand and say, that's it. I'm going to do it differently. And they are doing it differently today. And, and it isn't an age thing. I work with 60, 70 year olds, a very high conscious that say, you know, I'm, I'm, I want to learn everything I can as a grandparent. I want to do this differently for my grandchildren. So I do like to see that sort of mindful, intentional, you know, child rearing. Yeah, I do too. I love it. And, and I think that it's a really important point. So often people get the idea that the habits that they inherited from their parents are kind of intractable, that, you know, they, there's no way to break those cycles. But actually, 
yeah, you can you can recognize things from your own childhood or habits in your family and you can make really intentional change. And we see it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me more about the book. Tell me what my listeners need to know about it before they go out and pick up a copy. That's great. Great question. Um, you know, I guess from my perspective, and I know there's a lot of noise in the parenting or teaching markets as far as lots of different books. So, I mean, my goal was to write the one book that you needed to begin to raise an emotionally healthy child. So that's sort of my goal was to make it, make it easy to read and very accessible for tools. And, um, you know, from my perspective, you know, what might work in second grade doesn't work in third or what might work in preschool doesn't work in kindergarten. So the more sort of proven tools that you have at your disposal and ideas, how, how ideas land in a child's mind, because their mind is different than ours is, is helpful. And it's also sort of goes beyond just, you know, emotional regulation. It's like, how do you raise a child to have an emotionally healthy mindset? How do you help them develop character? How do you help them, you know, begin, like you mentioned, develop the habits that will not only help them today, but for the long term. And, um, you know, I think resources such as the book I wrote, The Emotionally Healthy Child, are just valuable in that quest to really, you know, that and what feels like an enormous task to raise an emotionally healthy child in what you described as a not so easy world, so to speak. Yeah, it's a not so easy world, isn't it? <laughs> Is it possible for us to answer in that question in a really nutshell version? How do we do it? How does, what are some of the tips? Well, I mean, I think it's complicated because, you know, at every stage of development, we sort of want to check the box. Oh, we made it through preschool. Oh, we made it through tweens. Oh, now she has a you know a, a, a cell phone and she's doing well with that. But emotional health is a lifelong endeavor. So it's not a check the box type of thing. It's something that we learn to do. And that's why the subtitle, Helping Children Calm and Center and Make Smarter Choices, Think of emotional health as emotional balance, the skill of balance. And then life throws us off balance. And how do we come back to our center, come back to balance? And that's something children need to learn. And we constantly learn as adults because of life. I mean, my car died the other day. So it was just like, okay, well, we've got that going on. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the nature of life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure is. So what are some of the tips that you ha- you share with parents to teach to their children? Well, I would say the smart choices checklist that I mentioned earlier, I would say that that's a very helpful tool. Um, I mean, that's a tool because it's, you know, children who are very reactive, they're just, you know, a knee jerk reaction. They're just, you know, unconsciously feeling a big emotion and letting it go. But when you help them recognize they have other choices and then can make other choices, that's important. I also do talk about mindfulness in the book. That's one of the accelerators of positive emotional health. So there is a chapter also on ideas. What are the ideas children need to know how emotions work? So sort of ideas and mindfulness sort of go deeper into the concept of emotional health. But the the tools are good, too, because whether it's a relaxation tool that I teach or a breathing tool, but it's sort of the regular practice that's helpful. And the Mm -hmm. idea isn't to give you more as a parent or teacher more to do. It's really just to make your time more effective with your kids. So you're still saying goodnight to them in bed and you spend a few minutes but maybe you do a relaxation tool every night as they're falling asleep so that when they do get stressed in the classroom, they can put the hand on their heart or they can do something that 
calms them and they have that visceral memory. I can come back to my center and calm. So it's really giving them those tools and uh, helping them on a consistent basis where I see the most progress. And maybe creating some rituals that helps kids incorporate that into their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Excellent. Yeah. Well, we don't have a whole lot of more time together and I've got a few more questions I want to ask you, but before we move on to our final questions, I just wanted to, you know, kind of find out what else do you want parents to, to know or to do to help their kids, you know, grow up to be resilient and emotionally healthy and happy. And maybe especially, and we're really... I don't know about you, but I think that we've got some national anxiety going on, maybe global. It's it's a different time than anything I've ever experienced. And I think it's got to be a real, real tough time for parents to be raising emotionally healthy children. What do well, you think? Yeah, well, I, I think I had a few, a few things in that, those questions. So the first one, I would say... If I, what I want parents to know, I'd want them to know that emotional health is a learnable skill. Oftentimes, parents come to me and say, am I too late? Have I missed the boat? You know, have, mm-hmm. I, have I messed everything up? So emotional health is a learnable skill for yourself and others mm-hmm. So and your children. So no, it's not too late. And, um, and you just start where you are. Every day you begin again. Um, and then to your question about the world, we are sort of in a period of turmoil. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I w- was participating in the Highlights Magazine survey as one of their experts. And and children in elementary school, their number one fear is school shootings. Mm-hmm. And, you know, two, it's, two is like mom or dad dying. But it, that trumps their parents is the school shootings. Mm-hmm. So there is a level of anxiety and stress in a young child's life that wasn't, hasn't been there for quite a while, um, typically in the regular, normal, typical child, um, at least in the United States. And, and, and I think that we just, and that's one of the reasons that I wrote this book is because we can give them the ideas and tools to help them come back to center, to help them that recognize in this moment we're okay and have those hard conversations to help them um, learn how to navigate the unknown mm-hmm. and feel safe and more secure. Mm-hmm. What a frightening time for parents, you know, and these are not bad tools for parents to incorporate too, you know, mindfulness, intentionality, mm-hmm. um, you know, ha- having some coping mechanisms for those oh so many times when kids drive us crazy. You right. need some tips and tools. Right, right. And I think that as much as we could say, you know, it is a stressful time in the world, I also think, you know, on the flip side, that it is stressful, but it's also we have access to information, wise information, and our access is so um, good these days that yes, it's harder in one way, but it's easier in another way. So I do believe that, you know, it, we're not just given the challenges, we're given the solutions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I was just talking on my episode last week about how so often when we're, we're living in tumultuous times, the real solution to feeling less calm is to take a look at what's actually going on in your life. So many of the crises that are happening, they aren't actually happening to us directly. They're happening around mm-hmm. us. They're happening mm-hmm. to other people, but actually we're oh, doing okay, you know, and mm-hmm. it's good to just reshift our, our focus back to what's real in our lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, 
I've got a couple more questions I want to ask you. Um, I want to, first of all, ask you where people can find out more about you and the work that you do. And I know that your website is growinghappykids.com, right? That's right. Growinghappykids.com. And I also have another site, highlysensitivekids.com, more about sensitive children. But yeah, growinghappykids.com is my main site. Okay. And they can find information about the book from there? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's everywhere, right? Amazon and local bookstores. It's all over the darn place. It just came out in October, didn't it? That's right. Yay. Happy book launch. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Well, my next question for you is a fill in the blank question. How would you fill in the blank? Nobody ever told me that. Uh, It's a very good question. Let's see. No one ever told me that. Um, I don't know that things just get better and better and better and better. I guess, you know, when you're surrounded by, um, you know, I grew up in a very tumultuous household, so I thought that chaos was normal. I did my advanced degree in childhood trauma. So from my standpoint, there was some stress as a child, which is probably why I love working with kids and helping them through that stress to the other side. Mm -hmm. But, you know, life just gets better and better and better. And I think that every age that we're at or every stage, I think, has its gifts to unwrap. And I'm enjoying being at my age right now who I am. I don't want to be younger. I don't want to be older. I'm just enjoying right where I am. Well, that's kind of a segue into the my last question, which is, where are you in your life in terms of um, motherhood or parenthood other than kind of surrounded by it? It sounds like with your career. Yeah. I mean, that would be my answer. I mean, I, I feel like I, uh, parent many children. I don't have any biological children. God didn't gift me with that. But I do feel that my path on this planet at this point in time is really to do teaching and counseling and to help other people get the ideas and tools to help their children. Mm -hmm. So that gives me great joy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great, great perspective. We need all kinds of perspectives so that we know how to do this big job. It's Mm -hmm. a hard one. It's a hard job. But boy, it's fun. It really Uh is. Yeah. 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 Well, Maureen, this has been a really fun conversation, and I'm really glad you came on to talk to us. We'd love to have you back again sometime. Thank you. I've loved being here. I so appreciate it. Okay, great. And once again, it's the emotionally healthy child. Wait, wait, did I get that right? Yes, the Emotionally Healthy Child. You got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then your other book, Growing Happy Kids. People and I have just... another book on indigo children as well. Yes. Okay, get all three wherever you find <laughs> your book. <laughs> it's fun talking to you, Maureen. We'll talk you again too. down the road. Thank you. Okay. Mama said there'll be days like this. There'll be days like this. Mama said. Mama said. This week's guest was Maureen Healy, and you can learn more about her at growinghappykids.com. You can learn more about me at jeanfaulkner.com, and that's J-E-A-N-N-E-F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R.com. Tweet me at jeanfaulkner. Find Common Sense Pregnancy on Facebook and Instagram. You know, we're there. Come find us. And don't forget to go pick up a copy of the book. Common Sense Pregnancy is available everywhere books are sold. 
Common Sense Pregnancy Parenting, and Politics is produced by Alex Ward at Sounds Like Pictures Studios. We're also a member of the Parents on Demand Network, so go check out a bunch of great parenting podcasts all in one place. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye.